Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of Modern Art is Rubbish. You alright Tom? Hi Marcus, yeah I'm good thanks. As I was walking here to uh, Modern Art is Rubbish HQ, I saw a bus, I don't know if you've seen it, there's buses going around Brighton in the UK where we are based in case any of you didn't know and it said happies not hippies written on the side of it in big letters. Do you know, what's, what's that all about? Happies not hippies? Yeah. Why would you want to be not hippies? I don't know, but what are happies? It says it like it's a kind of like a profound statement. If you're going to make a big statement like that. Yeah. Is it GPs who are handing out all the happiness pills? What general practitioners, doctors? Yeah. yeah. Hey guys, are you feeling depressed? Come and see your local general <laughs> practitioner. And as we always say at the surgery, happies, not hippies. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why I'm just bringing this up. It's a, in the spirit of the kind of like fun and things that are out of the ordinary. I've picked an artist called Carsten Holler. Now, do you know Carsten Holler? I don't know. He doesn't. Uh, where's Carsten Holler from? Uh, you, are you asking me for a quick biog of him? Um, yeah, go on then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he was born in uh, 1961 in Brussels to German parents, and he currently lives in Sweden. Carsten Holler is uh, he's an artist who's he creates installations, and his work is kind of dis- can be disorientating. It can be fun. It can be philosophical. It can make us look at things in a new way. So what genre of art does he fit into? Fun art. Fun art? Is that no, actually a genre? No, it's not fun, is it? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, he does installation artwork, he does video work, so he, he covers all sort of facets. But his work is, much of it is about taking what we see every day and putting it into a gallery space, making us look at things differently. So it's like modern art, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's modern it, art. Is it modernism? Modernism, well, not modernism, it's contemporary stuff yeah yeah contemporary stuff stuffism yeah contemporary <laughs> <laughs> i mean you wonder why i picked him but i'll, I'll give you an example of one of his works he's uh, he actually did a piece um with my favorite maurizio catalan and in 1997 holler and uh, catalan created two identical shows in paris basically what happened was that catalan actually copied all the work from Holler's show and he did a simultaneous show. With Holler's uh, collaboration? Yes. It's kind of like ideas of identity theft and, you know, the fact that both shows are sort of like equal. Same exhibits, similar layout, same pieces. Wow. That's one of the other things he's done. And he's also like our other favourite, Martin Creed. In 1999, uh, Carsten Holler did a thing called Ball House, which was a room filled with balls and people could just go in there and just play in it. Yeah. And also a work that he made in 2000 called Frisbee House, which was just a room filled of Frisbees. Oh, right. So I presume the Frisbees were not mid-air. They were all just still. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they weren't in... There wasn't... You didn't walk in a room and someone was chucking... That'd be cool, though. You walk <laughs> yeah. in a room and loads of people just throw Frisbees at you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends if you like Frisbee, I guess. <laughs> Carsten Holler started off life as a scientist. He has a degree in agricultural entomology. Do you know what that involves, agriculture? Is that to do with soil stuff? Or? Oh, I believe it's the study of field crops, fruit and vegetable pests. 
Right, so, yeah, yeah, pesticides. But also and... beneficial insects, insects that help plants like bees, I assume, or looking to ones that can damage so like not, aphids. Not only is he a, a artist, so he can actually help farmers with their like yeah. pesticide yeah, yeah. needs. Yeah, yeah, he's probably got quite science. a good allotment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if he hangs out with farmers or just artists. I bet he hangs out with farmers. He hasn't studied any art. This is the other interesting thing. So he's an artist who hasn't actually studied it formally. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And interesting you say this because this, uh, one of his famous works was a, uh, a work that he did in, uh, in partnership with uh, the artist Rosemary Trockle. And it's called House for Pigs and People. And this was a series of works. But this one I'm particularly focusing on is, was done in 1997. So what they did was for an exhibition, they actually built a, a purpose-built building. And on one side of the building, there was a garden and an enclosure with pigs. And on the other side of the the sort of building was a slope. And at the end of the slope was a two-way mirror. When you looked through the two-way mirror, you could see on the other side pigs and they were in the garden. And of course... The pigs couldn't see past the mirror and could so only it, see their reflection. It was like the pigs were in a police questioning room. Yeah. So, <laughs> police uh, pigs. Yeah, so the uh, the viewing gallery where I presume people, yeah. did they pay to come and look at the pigs? Well, yes, they would go in there and that's where they would go to view them, yeah. So they'd all feel like undercover police. Well, I guess they wouldn't know that the pigs couldn't see them back. No. Having said that, I've actually have been on several lineups. Uh, previously I was called up for lineups not because I've done a crime I just like to say but because so I've been in that situation where you're just looking at a mirror oh right and someone's been the other side so yeah. I presume they didn't pick you out hence you're still here yeah yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not enough to convict we were told that even if you get picked that was one of the things you ask the thing is is people are looking at uh, this installation and they're just seeing pigs on the other side and there were many questions that Holler wanted people to ask themselves like what is the difference between us and animals uh, you know how can we treat them in ways that we wouldn't treat humans you know what makes us so different and particularly picked pigs, you know, we only really breed them for meat. I mean, obviously people keep occasionally pet pigs, but they're only really kept mostly for meat. And they're quite intelligent animals. Okay, yeah, so this reminds me of the Simon Amstel film Carnage, yeah. which is set 50 years in the future or something. And yeah. it's looking back on humans today yeah. and how they used to eat meat. And it wasn't their fault that they were so barbaric. Yeah. It's just what they were used to. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but that was a uh, uh, yeah. It just reminds me of that. Yeah, when you. So uh, how did um, Holler and uh, Trockel, is it? Yeah, yes. So how did they um, ask these questions? I think there was a lot of discussions going around it, and also there was actually a book which was about the project. One of the questions that the book that was about the project asked was: Does an animal consciousness have something quite different? something we cannot imagine or is there a basic measure of consciousness which is part of man's biological makeup and also occurs in animals yeah i i would say as a as a human i see animals around that we yeah. all have this same consciousness yeah it's like and I, I wouldn't say any animal even a small one with 
a um, in terms of size, the size of the organs, the yeah. brain organ or whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're less intelligent. An American philosopher who, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. I will put his name in the show notes. And um, not, not Donald Trump. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask the question, what is it like to be a bat? And in, in this exhibition, you've got these pigs and they're looking at themselves in the mirror and they're noticing themselves and they're seeing that they are, you know, they are aware that they are looking in the mirror. And when you look at the pigs, you're seeing the pigs looking at themselves. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much we know about pigs' vision, but if they've got they've got different eye creatures have different eyes, can see different things. Like yeah. I know, for example, like my pet cat can see all sorts of weird colours. You can see her, her eyes just going a little bit mad sometimes. It's yeah. like parts of the spectrum they can't yeah, see. Yeah. So maybe the pigs can see through the uh, two-way mirror. There must be animals that... Uh, who's laser like pigs. yeah laser, laser eye pigs <laughs> apparently people were really fascinated by this i mean because everyone's seen pigs mostly in their life but people were uh, would would stay for ages and ages just watching these pigs whereas you you know i've been to sort of like working farms and i don't spend you know about five quality minutes with a pig that's probably it yeah and then you go straight to the farm shop yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have nice cakes and <laughs> <laughs> rubbers with pigs on. House of pigs and people. As well as working with animals, he likes to play with uh, people's perceptions, and a lot of times he'll make almost like a a fun fair or a, an art playground for people to come and visit. One of his installations was called Giant Psycho Tank. This could be something great that we could work with Donald Trump on. <laughs> <laughs> an unpolitical piece, just a yeah. giant psycho tank. Yeah, giant psycho tank. And actually what it was, was literally a sensory deprivation pool. It wasn't invented by him, but what he's done is he put it in the gallery context. So people would probably, who probably wouldn't even consider going in a sensory deprivation tank, were invited to just go in there, put their swimsuit on, or completely go naked and just float. So you're floating in a tank, so you're in water. water. Why is it sensory deprivation? Was there no... Because on the photo you've like put in front of me of it, it's like it looks quite light. It's not like you can't see anything. Yeah, I, I say it's complete sensory deprivation, but a flotation tank would be, but it's kind of like more like a chill-out tank, I think would be the more to the point. I mean, the normal flotation tanks you go to, aren't they? They're completely... Uh, completely black aren't they and there's 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 no you can't see anything at all yeah and no, this isn't like that this is like quite bright it's like and you can imagine if um what was it called the psycho tank yeah. if donald trump was in this flotation tank he wouldn't he wouldn't care about the wall if he was floating in there would he no no <laughs> <laughs> he would chill out it'd be very nice <laughs> it'd go a bit orange with the dye coming out though wouldn't it so, yeah. <laughs> donald trump dye <laughs> There's another one where he's made actually something based on fairground rides and, and one was called A Mirrored Carousel. And he's made several of these. And what it is, is a full-size fairground carousel and it's covered in mirrored surfaces and lights. And what happens is each person sits on a small swing seat and it slowly goes around. And of course, users experience quite a dizzying ride. 
because the light is endlessly refracted in the mirrors. So yeah, as you're so, going round. I mean, it's very pretty, but this is something. This is like fair fairground ride enjoyments. So you go in the art gallery, and it's just like having some rides to go on. Yeah, it's almost like giving you a moment to think about the experience of the experience of childhood and letting go and getting into that state. Because ordinarily, I would not go on one of those rides if I saw them at a fairground. Anyway, I'm more likely to do it in a gallery. Interesting. Also. Part of the experience sometimes can be just watching people go round on it themselves. Carsten Holler believes that when uh, you go to galleries, you can't separate your experiences with the people there from the art. I don't know if anyone's been to the Tate Modern in uh, uh, London. It's bit, I, yeah, millions of people have been there, yeah, man. It feels at times, it can feel a bit like you're going around a shopping centre. Absolutely, yeah. It is over sensory overload, yeah. isn't it? It There's can feel people. like too many people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big rooms, big buildings. Yeah. So that directly affects your view of the art. So you don't necessarily have to go on the ride to experience it. You can watch the people experience it and that. Yeah, it'd be nice because Donald will come out of the flotation tank. He'll yeah. look a different colour. He'll go on the ride. You'll see him going around. You might not even recognise him. <laughs> I'm sure he but again as he remembers his childhood but again that's that point isn't it of taking yourself out of yourself and maybe you come out a little bit different or you look at the world in a little bit of a different way it is fun childhood rides they're fun they're supposed to be fun so I imagine this is going to be fun it's going round isn't it so Carsten Holler likes to really disorientate with some of his work, make you feel differently. Sometimes it can be an unpleasant experience. I mean, he's done another one which is similar called the Pinocchio effect. And what it is, is that visitors sit down and they attach a vibrating device to their arm, close their eyes, and when they touch their nose with their other hand, it makes you uh, feel like your nose is growing. The Pinocchio effect. Whoa. Great. It just feels like your nose is growing. Yeah. Thing. Have you ever done that thing where you could close your eyes, cross your fingers, and then run your your cross fingers down your nose, and it makes you feel like you've got two noses? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's working. I'm do, trying to do it now. Yeah, it's not quite happening for me. Yeah. Well, it is for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm so lucky. I've, it feels like I've got two fingers. <laughs> <laughs> In the Tate Modern, uh, you've obviously been to Tate Moderns, we've talked about it. but for Obviously. Pe- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for people who uh, don't know about Tate Modern, it's, got a, it's massive, isn't it, inside? There's a massive entrance hall, I suppose. Yeah, so it? it's like a volume, isn't it? It's yeah, an amazing it's volume huge, room. Huge space. Um, we'll put, uh, again, we'll put the uh, obligatory links on the website so you can see the size of it. And Carsten Holler was asked to do a to fill the space, and what he decided to do, and this was in two thousand and seven, was create three giant enclosed slides, um, and one is huge. It goes from virtually from the top of the uh, the great hall to to the bottom. So it's it was actually fifty six meters long, 
and it had a 27 meter drop it was a, it was in a spiral shape i mean it's ridiculously high isn't it really yeah so it's a, a massive uh, it's it's like alton towers but in an art setting yes so he really likes the idea of uh, and he doesn't understand why there aren't more slides in buildings because you've got stairs to go up, and he's thinking, well, why yeah, don't I have slides? Yeah, but I mean, he, if he, you know, he does surely understand, really. You don't, get, <laughs> you don't get these massive rooms in everyone's houses, do you? Otherwise, we'd all have art slides. galleries and slides yeah. at home. <laughs> It'd be great. It's, it's an opportunity for adults to... Feeling back. I don't... I mean, I don't know about you, but when I see a slide in a park... Yeah, that's not right. You don't. When you go to a children, you see a children's park. You don't want to, as an adult, suddenly run on the slide. You don't obviously get the opportunity to go on slides. <laughs> it has this really great feeling. I mean, Carsten Holler uses this description by this uh, a French writer uh, uh, called Roger Calois. And he describes it as a voluptuous panic upon an otherwise lucid mind. Carsten Holler also has this idea that if people use slides slides more in their daily life, they'd um, you know they'd be uh, maybe be different. What they'd be um, more childlike, is it, or more happy? Yeah, maybe if they slid somewhere every day. The other thing as well is if you think people are rushing down this big slide, and and it's interesting, it's in a gallery space because mostly when you go to galleries, you don't really move that fast. Sure, yeah. So you contrast that with like a slide and like that kind of high velocity. It's not somewhere you normally go to. Yeah, but I guess they're not going to be like super fast or dangerous because it's in a public space, isn't yeah. it? There's going to be health and safety regulations, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not, I mean, they're not, they're not completely. <laughs> so that was the most boring point. Yeah. I could have thought. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, health and safety is always important, risk assessment. <laughs> I mean, he's also done a giant one, uh, which is attached to the Arcella Mittal Orbit. It's Britain's largest sculpture, and it's actually at the Olympic Park, which was built for the 2012 Olympics. Yeah, and apparently it's the longest enclosed tunnel slide in the world. Oh, so can you actually go on it? Yeah, it's 178 metres, and it takes 40 seconds to get to the bottom. So it's at the Olympic Park, which is now West Ham United football, football team's team, yeah, stadium, yes. isn't it? Yeah, so you can go and watch watch them lose and then sadly watch them lose and then go on a slide forget about it for 40 seconds (laughs) (laughs) yeah I have a soft spot for that team but um, yeah so you have I mean you've done much sliding in your yeah when I was a kid we had uh, our garden where I grew up it was like had a slope on it it was just like and we had a a, a, it was like light blue coloured it was like a water slide yeah and it was about 10 metres long and so you put the hose at the top of it when there wasn't a hose pipe ban yeah and then (laughs) you take a run up and then you slide on your front all the way down yeah so many summers in the garden I can remember having a lot of fun with that I yeah uh, I didn't have really have slides. I put a mattress on the stairs and used to roll backwards down it. That was good. So you'd go, you'd be on top of the mattress going down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a slide. That's as close as I got. I, I like the idea of replacing stairs and using or using stairs differently. It's just what I used to do. 
I drove my tricycle down the stairs once as well. Was that before or after you knew about Carsten Holler? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Carsten likes to change people's uh, view. And this is quite an interesting one. In 2010, he created a piece called A Revolving Hotel Room. Uh, As part of an exhibition, he installed a hotel room in Rotterdam in a gallery. And guests could stay overnight. And what it was was a three-ton rotating hotel room. And the parts of the room are slowly sort of rotated on four discs. It takes about an hour for the rotation to complete. So people would stay there. And of course, what you do is you, you you go on this bed and all your view is always changing. And so if you go to sleep and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're facing a completely different way to where you were. Well, if it takes an hour to go past, if you wake up on the hour every night, it's going to be the same view. You're going to be like, this is a bit of a rip-off. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's fairly fairly pricey because a night ranged from 275 to 450 euros. So it was an actual rip-off. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite, quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite expensive, but I suppose yeah. it's because of due to high demand. Um yeah, and it was in an art gallery. So you're like staying in a hotel room in the art gallery. Was there any hotel staff while you were Well, there? you have a personal butler who would follow you around. You were free to wander. The gallery could take a torch and go and look at these paintings and see these paintings in a completely different light. Yeah. Your personal butler could carry the torch, surely? Yeah, I suppose you could ask them. Speaking of being my, and from that uh, previous mind-blowing experience, um, it's interesting because he's done some work with mushrooms. Mushrooms is a theme that appears quite a lot in his work. So he likes mushrooms? Uh, The shape? They're quite an interesting shape, aren't they? What shape is a mushroom? It's just a mushroom shape, isn't it? An umbrella shape. Umbrella, okay, Well, 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 I suppose suppose umbrellas are inspired by mushrooms. Maybe people used to hide under... Mush- giant mushrooms in the past during a rain yeah. shower yeah marcus yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no actually you might be right there may may well have been giant mushrooms to hide because we don't have them now because we ate them all oh many people that little mushrooms appeared giant too <laughs> <laughs> so in 2000 he made uh, an upside down mushroom room and what it is is like giant red rotating mushroom sculptures. So, so fly, fly agaric mushrooms. Yeah, for those who don't know, they're red with white dots on top of them, or white bits. And are they're really poisonous mushrooms, yeah. aren't they? And um, these sculptures would actually hang from the ceiling and rotate. So you walk in this room and it's obviously, again, very disorientating because you, you don't normally expect to see giant rotating mushroom sculptures on the ceiling when you walk into a room. No, I'm, that's very true. Yeah. And again, in 2010, he did another piece involving mushrooms. And this was a, this, this harks back perhaps to his science past. Now, if you think when, you, when uh, people do science experiments, you normally have a control group, um, as you're aware, you know. So, yeah. so you'll give one, one pe- a lot of people will have the 
whatever, the yeah. drug they're testing, the other one will have a, a placebo. Fake mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they did. Yeah. So what this installation was called Soma. Now, Soma is uh, a kind of like, it's believed it was like an ancient kind of ritual involving, you know, an ancient drink that they believe may have been made from mushrooms. And, and okay. shaman would have kind of taken this drink to get to this kind of, a state of higher consciousness and it's kind of a, a, a something that's a lot of legend and, and so myth. similar to Capri Sun <laughs> <laughs> other other um, sweet um, sweet drinks are available. other sweet sweet uh, trance inducing drinks <laughs> although Capri yeah. Sun does not is in no way hallucinogenic well, I don't know. I've never tasted Capri Sun. Is it all right? I don't know. Yeah, it's like Sunny Delight. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. It's squash, isn't it? Yeah, squash. it's like squash. Oh, yeah. No, no well, this isn't like squash at all because this involves reindeer urine, which is not really like squash. For this installation, it's called Soma, uh, and the main part of the installation was two groups of reindeer, and they were kept apart by a large running fence that ran down the middle. And there were six reindeer on one side and six on the other. So one half of the reindeers were just fed normal mushrooms and normal feed. And the other, uh, these psychedelic mushrooms, the fly agaric mushrooms. So they're those. Um, so basically what what happens is is that and this is something apparently the Saumi used to do in uh, in the, the Saumi are a tribe of people that live in the north of Scandinavia the urine of apparently used to drink the urine of these of Santa's reindeer of reindeer yeah uh, because apparently that because these reindeer naturally eat these uh, psychedelic mushrooms that apparently that, that you can get this kind of experience from the drinking the urine it puts a different perspective on uh, christmas doesn't it yeah we all think that's where they may have seen the flying reindeer yeah so what happens you've got these reindeers and they've been fed and they've been fed these mushrooms and then then what happens as part of the piece the urine is collected and then again as with the revolving hotel room people are invited to stay there overnight available to them are fridges with containing the urine of of the reindeers and mushrooms but the thing is is people don't know which are the special mushrooms and which are the normal mushrooms and which are which is the urine the special urine on the normal urine so it's up to them whether they want to take it or not yeah but i mean if you had a choice between two different types of urine you'd be a bit like, <laughs> um, uh, no <gasps> i think i can last till we get to the cafe <laughs> Well, one of the staff who were running it said actually said apparently the minibar was cleaned out by a few people that stayed there. And so the minibar had these mushrooms no, in? No, the minibar just was just a minibar, I, I believe. Just, oh, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> but um, there was one report I read that someone was convinced that the, the uh, reindeer had moved and swapped sides overnight. So they went to bed thinking there was like seven or eight reindeer on one side and only four on the other side and when they got when they woke up the next day it seemed that the reindeer were all in the same place like six on one side and six on the other 
So are we talking about a viewer's experience, psychedelic experience of the art piece? Who is having the psychedelic experience? Well, the people, the, the, the guests. Deer, the deer or the guests? <laughs> See, the guests, the guests were able to stay there. But, I mean, the thing is, is there was no requirement for people to fill out anything. So it was actually a very personal thing as to whether, you know, what they experienced. And so hang on. So the people went to see this yeah. show. It's yeah, a show, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was a fence with two sets yeah, of yeah. reindeer or deer. Yeah, was yeah. it reindeer? Reindeer. And so some of them were eating mushrooms, some of them not. The yeah. people viewing it, they were eating mushrooms as well. The, um, the mushrooms and the urine was locked during the day. And at night time, only the people that stayed in the hotel were able to... Uh, choose whether they wanted to eat it or not. Okay, so what country did this happen? What sort of countries have art galleries with this on offer? <laughs> <laughs> Are you too fancy going? <laughs> well, I don't know. It seems just like a, a sponsored get off your head party. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, that um, concludes our trip. Our trip. It concludes our trip here with uh, Carsten Holler. Um, so, have you got anything you want to add on on it? People's artwork. Oh on. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To celebrate a year of the podcast as a podcast special, we want to talk about your art. You can email us pictures of any type of art that you make, and if you don't make art, maybe you have family members or friends, you can send in their work instead. Um, we may use the images on the website and uh, the address you need to send it to is info at modern art is rubbish. And uh, please uh, d uh, don't forget to subscribe and join us on our Facebook page. Or alternatively, you can visit our website modernartisrubbish.com. So, Tom, I guess it's just byes. Okay, so it's goodbye from him. Bye. Bye, Tom. Oh, bye. No, you're not going. We're still here, aren't you? If I oh, say yeah, bye. yeah. Bye to people listening, and thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll still be here when when this recording's finished. Yeah, cool. So you can get in touch with us via our email address, which is at. The Patreon page is Modern Art is Rubbish App.